Hi everyone and welcome to this month's episode of Ajay Talks. I'm so happy and proud to have with me Shanif Dewani Nyokabi Manguyu Charles Omanga from Horizon Capital or a Siri group um, as they like to call themselves. Today we're going to be talking about structuring uh, mergers and acquisitions and really what are the bare bones of deal structuring um, in Kenya and in Africa in general as we come out of the COVID uh, pandemic. Shanif and Charles and Nyokabi, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's <laughs> <Our> pleasure. <laughs> thank Okay, so Shanif and Charles, let's get some background. You started Horizon Capital. Um, what is Horizon Capital, first of all? Tell us. So we started Horizon Capital. So it's our 12th year. 12th year. Wow. 12th okay. Year. Amazing. So we started January 2010. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Horizon Capital is a boutique investment banking advisory firm. Yeah. And we, we focus on three practice areas, mergers and acquisition. Yeah corporate finance mm-hmm. and corporate advisory. Why did you think that it was something that was going to work, uh, and especially being a boutique, why did you think it was going to work in this market? Charles? I think at the time when um, Shanif broached the idea with me, there wasn't anyone doing mid-market transactions yeah. professionally, right? So the, in my view, there were quite a few briefcase outfits, if I can call them that, and yeah. no disrespect to anyone. And then there was this gap, and then there were the big four and some of the larger investment banks doing it. And that's why we felt there was a there was a gap that we could fill in there. Yeah. So since it's your 12th year, how have your aims um, at the beginning changed from then to now? And what has changed in between uh, in terms of deal structuring, in terms of what you're doing? We have, in some ways, stuck to our core. Yeah which was A, to be the advisor of choice to a number of family-owned conglomerates who had a multi-country, multi-industry footprint. So we have stuck to that core, but of course we have, uh, and this is across uh, what I would call the greater East Africa region, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, we also have grown and advising institutional investors, on the buy side, on their exits. We are advising um, pension funds on potential investments. Uh, And of course, in the last three, four years, been working on expanding the professional services offering through the Asiri platform. Okay, so we'll get to that. Nyokami, when did you join Horizon then? Because I know that it's the three of you and then there's also Perit as well. Yeah, so I, I moved back to Kenya in 2009, coming from Goldman Sachs in New York. I kind of left without a plan. <laughs> so I didn't come with the intention to join Horizon, but I was very easily convinced once I met uh, with Charles and Shini. How has the transition been from New York to Nairobi? And what what do you think the market environment is like? It's, it, I'm sure it's not as hectic, but is it as sophisticated? Are we getting there? So, you know, part of the reason actually why I moved is that the role I had out there doesn't doesn't exist in this market. Mm-hmm. And so it was like I, I can't continue on this on this path if my goal is to eventually move back move home. home. So, so in terms of the level of sophistication, we're getting there, but it's it's going to be a very, very, very long journey. But I was really pleasantly surprised to see the level of MA activity um, in this market. I really didn't have much of an idea. And because most of the transactions are happening 
happening in the private space, you don't really see them in the papers. Yeah. I mean, even back when I joined, I don't think business daily was even a thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so we're, we're getting there. But I think that even I was surprised when I came back from London that um, you could do transactions, big transactions, even as a, as a junior, which you would never see in London uh, until you got to a more senior level. So I think that for me was definitely a benefit. And then also just learning that transactions are happening and we are pioneering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that um, we said to Nyokavi when, when she was coming was that, look, um, you'll be in the boardroom. Yeah. Right? You will yeah. be right at the forefront when we're negotiating yeah. on these transactions, which was something I didn't get to do even in my earlier career in the larger banking institutions. So, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay, so now let's get to a series. So you've now developed a one-stop shop um, for um, all of the professional services. So you're covering the accounting side, the M&A side with Horizon, the legal side with um, O&M. What advantage do you think this one-stop shop serves to your clients? Um, so, oh, sorry. so maybe I'll just begin and then... Uh, yeah, uh, Anyone, jump yeah. in. <laughs> so I think when you're doing an M&A transaction or when you are an advisor to a group, there is a certain stop to the advice that you can provide. Yeah. And then you become dependent on other advisors in order to make and thread things along. Um, and sometimes that, depending on who those advisors are and if you know them and if, if it works well, is okay. But sometimes um, having control over the conversations, having control yeah. over the timing, having control over the service itself, in its in of itself, is a major advantage. Yeah. So Absolutely. I mean, I think if you take a step back and try to look at it holistically, so there is one, one aspect of it, which is to uh, be able to be some level of control. Because yeah. there's so many things in an M&A transaction that's not in your control. Right. So if you can exercise a little bit of control in some areas, but also when you're providing a personalized professional service, yeah. you're almost like the the confidant of the client. Correct. And then they rely on you on many things. Right. If you can then expand that suite of services, it really helps. I'll give you an example. So we've set up our wealth management platform yeah. stroke business, which mm-hmm. is a Siri capital management. Okay. Now, that's a very interesting proposition because it really truly draws on all our areas of expertise, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the premise of this business is wealth advisory, wealth management, wealth administration. It's a holistic approach. So you're sitting down with a mid to high net worth client. Yeah. You are designing, helping them design a investment philosophy, helping them administer it, and help, so helping them implement it and then administer it for them, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Now, there are so many aspects to it. There is the aspect of uh, legal advice vis-a-vis succession planning, family constitution, restructuring yeah. if the, the network is in various holding company or investment company structures. There's an element of corporate service stroke fiduciary. Yeah. There's an element of capital market. Yeah. to our, our sister firm, uh, AIB Access, yeah. right? There is an element of non-listed private equity advisory, yeah. right? Which through Horizon can be done. Yeah. So if you look at a city capital management, perfect example of how we can draw on a number of our expertise to bring a holistic approach. Yeah, so a client is literally giving you their, their wealth and saying, deal with it and manage it for us. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Deal with it and not not now over a generation or two and plan for it plan for it yeah. plan for succession plan for tax optimi- optimization yeah. 
inheritance and nowhere is it more true than in the current time with what's happening the the, the havoc that uh, covid has wreaked yeah right we have many relatively young people in their 50s and early 60s still with significant income power yeah who have un- passed away in unfortunate circumstances yeah and have left behind uh, a portfolio of wealth yeah which has not been structured well yeah. and and now their successors and inheritors are trying to make sense of it yes right that's a very important point but these are very sophisticated services that not a lot of kenyans even not even africans would understand or even plan for or even understand that someone can manage it for them how you taking the message across that you should be succession planning you should be um involved in activities that will make sure that generationally um you're covered you know kabin Yeah no you you're very right it's it's quite an education process but i think people at least cognizant that they need to be educated so are welcoming the conversations because you can easily see it front page of some newspapers this family is tussling over yes over, yeah. over property yeah. and, and mm-hmm. this and that so there's a general appreciation that it you know it it needs to happen it's it's a journey and essentially we you know we start off because we are building wealth uh in the long term that we're partnering on that on that journey. So we ask them okay, you know, w- what are your investable assets? What is the level of risk that you are able to yeah. to take? Mm-hmm. What are your key objectives? Is mm-hmm. it liquidity, is it capital appreciation, mm-hmm. etc. So they really feel we're looking at it holistically all of these things i mean you're talking you're talking about them very easily and obviously as a lawyer i can understand them but when the ordinary like when i'm g they really do they wouldn't know is it liquidity versus um you know capital or is or assets based invest how are we going to get this message across charles we have to <laughs> we have to we start have, somewhere and yeah. that's i think what we're doing we, we certainly have to improve the quality of our financial journalism yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then at this point in time it's largely we're largely word of mouth and it, it's quite effective because you're dealing with um business people you're dealing with business people who have families you're dealing yeah. with everybody has their own situation so I think for us before we go out and shout we are test casing and making sure that the, the, those clients who are trusting us in the very beginning are happy mm-hmm. and um Jerry there's a way that financial jargon goes away when you're trying to explain risk the basics, exactly right? <laughs> and, yeah. and and what um um what's important uh to a client from from their perspective uh with their wealth going forward but it must be working i mean it's been 12 years we we can't cover everything but let's cover mna so that at least our audience can get an understanding of what it is that you do in in that space um and i think that that serves its own purpose so nyoka pi first of all tell us what everyone has heard of mna they don't know what it means what is a mergers and acquisitions transaction what is it okay sure so um essentially the difference between the two is that in a merger you have two separate entities that are joining together um for one consolidated entity so the merging operations management etc and the way that transaction happens is usually that there is a, a share swap. Uh, with an acquisition it's another entity uh, that will become the parent company of of you know a target a target yeah. and those are driven for any number of reasons so you could have an acquisition that's happening because the two entities are in the same industry for example but perhaps one is lower down in the value chain so it's a vertical 
um, integration and acquisition. <laughs> yeah. Or they could be competitors that yeah. have decided they will, you know, perform better in the market if they join forces. Uh, so high level, that's that's what it that's is. What <laughs> but I think that's, that's, that's a good explanation. Why does it matter um, to uh, our economy that there are mergers and acquisitions transactions happening? Shini? So just going back, I mean, a very good example how to distinguish between the two is that if you look at the NIC and CBA, that was a merger, NCBA. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at... Um, when the Standard Bank of Mauritius came in and they bought Fidelity. That was an acquisition. Thank you for that right. basic. <laughs> That's a good it's way to kind of look yeah. at that. Sometimes, let me complicate it for you. There are people who call them mergers, but they are actually acquisitions. Acquisitions, yes. I think Stan Big disguised that sometime back when they bought, when they bought CFC. CFC. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, to add to further confusion, our uh, MNF, the acquisition form at the competition authority, is actually called the merger form. That's true, actually. It's right. only called the merger it's, form. It's only called the merger yeah. form. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. Why does it matter that these things happen in, our, in, in right. this um, economy? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, one premise, of course, is economies of scale, mm-hmm. right? So, as countries go bigger, macroeconomies grow bigger, scale becomes very critical, yeah. right? Because scales allows you to reduce, A, your cost of operations, allows you to be able to access, whether it's raw material, whether it's people, allows bigger access on that side and also bigger access to a, a, a national or a regional market. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then when you are on that journey, there are two ways of going about what we call organic growth, which is you continuously grow on your own. And just wait for your own steam to basically yeah, give exactly. you Exactly, grow on, on the basis of your in-house internal growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we call inorganic growth, which yeah. is now mergers, uh, acquisition is part of that inorganic growth. Where the, the new money coming into the business will enable you to... Right, right. You look at a target, you say this target fits us in terms of our growth objectives. Yeah. Whether it's a horizontal merger uh, or vertical merger, you know, whether whatever the case may be, right? And you say this is going to save us X number of years. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You may pay a bit more than what you would have done, invested if you had grown it in-house but it accelerates your growth plans, yeah. right? That's yeah. why you look that's, at all of it. That's what it is, basically. But if a business is listening to us now, what are the considerations that they should have when they are factoring in uh, either doing a merger or an acquisition? So, for example, uh, selling a minority shareholding versus a majority, you guys acting for a seller versus acting for a buyer. What are those considerations? First of all, if I'm acting for a minority looking to exit, the conversation is slightly more complicated. Okay. Because I have to understand the relationship first that they have with their majority partner. Mm-hmm. What does that entail? What Do they have a shareholders agreement? What does it say? What does it say about them trying to exit? Had they pre-planned this already? So, so already your starting point is uh, not one where, uh, for example, you're you're acting for a majority and they want to sell and they're clear about the vision and the exit. I mean, obviously, it's easier when it's 100 percent, right? Absolutely. But a minority, you're, you're dealing with uh, different parties and therefore you're coming into a, a business existing. How are you going to be? What are your rights going to be when you're in that business? 100 percent. OK, yeah. Um, so tell us about acting for a buyer versus a seller. What, what what are the differences there in your cabin? Mm. 
you know, the majority of transactions we do are actually advising on the sell side, which if you ask any advisor, they prefer because yeah. <laughs> you have more control over all over the transaction. There's one asset you, you know, there's a... Isn't it hard that you have to find the buyer? The, no, no, you're, no, you're leading. actually, you're leading. <laughs> okay. Whereas when you're acting on the buy side, you don't know how many people have approached that target and the conversations that they're having. Mm-hmm. So on this side, on sell side, you get to control and have, you know, you have view mm-hmm. of everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but when, um, but when people think of m they probably think of me as the, the lawyer, you know, racking up high bills, doing all kinds of uh, um, they might not drafting. Be wrong. <laughs> they might not be wrong. <laughs> not wrong about this bill. Okay, they, they, <laughs> they may, uh, <laughs> I can't comment on that. Um, but wh- where do you come into the transaction? How, how is it that you are making a difference in the deals that are being done in this country? So it depends. As a transaction advisor, you can take a passive approach. You can take an active approach. Passive approach is where you have a um, you have an existing reputation in the market, and uh, when a potential transaction is being cooked, uh, you are approached and asked to advise on it. You can take an active approach where you can actually take an active deal making approach. Right. Mm-hmm. We tend to take a more active deal making approach mm-hmm. uh, on transactions. Mm-hmm. So even before other professionals get into the picture, may there be lawyers or accountants or bankers, uh, that is corporate commercial bankers, we are there cooking the deal. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the way we look at it. And then, you know, the transaction advisors, uh, the MA transaction advisors, essentially are the people who are literally carrying the deal. And that's a number of reasons because A, first of all, they probably started on this deal from the very beginning, A. Secondly, they probably have a holistic picture of it because the rest of the professionals have been brought in for a very specific task. The tax guy has been brought in to look at the tax structuring side. The legal guys come in to look drafting of documentation, due diligence, all of that. So the, trans- the, the M&A guy, the M&A banker is actually has a holistic picture. And lastly, more importantly, the incentive the, the 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 monetize monetization because the 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 kicker for uh, MA bankers is is the success the success fee yeah, yeah because if the success doesn't happen we don't get paid yeah or we don't get paid substantially whereas lawyers charge by the hour <laughs> <laughs> so they are highly motivated yeah. highly motivated to get transactions through the door yeah, and to make to make sure that uh, what Absolutely. you what the seller wanted is what they get in the end. Um, for mm-hmm. me, the most exciting part is when you've signed the, the the transaction document, the SBA or the asset purchase, because then you know that you're cooking with gas. Everything is happening. The CP. See, for for filled. us, that's the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are at that stage where. Well, you're just it's like, it's the end of at least a transaction, but there's also a lot of uh, what we call conditions subsequent that we have to stick around to make sure yeah. get through. Yeah. But so how how long do you, do you stick around until after the conditions subsequent are met? And for anyone who knows, these are the conditions post-transaction that the seller has to meet in order to make sure that um, the transaction price that was paid is the actual price. Do you stick around post that or do you stick around um, just until they're, they're fulfilled? Oh, in many cases, we stick around years after that. Yes. Now, you know, look, so one of the other thing about Horizon where we kind of distinguish ourselves is we don't have a transactional approach to transactions. We have a relationship approach. So we are actually servicing uh, the clients, as opposed to uh, as opposed to just working on a transaction, what this allows us to do is uh, have a you know we do multiple transactions for clients. Yeah. Right. So that relationship means that we are we are there post 
in many transactions because then we're helping them restructure the funding, additional funding. Uh, we are helping them with uh, corporate finance related matters, yeah. all of that. So typically an M&A banker sticks around for maybe a few more months to ensure that you know completion accounting is done, conditions subsequent are met, and maybe a bit of the transition taking place from the outgoing investor to, to the incoming to the, investor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But ours is slightly different because of our relationship approach in many of those transactions. We did five, eight years ago. We are still hand-holding the next phase. Which is, which is great for you guys because that relationship is, uh, establishes um, a pattern. Everyone says, you know, we, we do such important work, or at least lawyers like to think that they do. What God's is, work. <laughs> God's work. Yeah. Could you tell us, like, what is the transaction that you've done in this country or in this market where you've thought this is going to make a difference, um, you know, to the average person or even to the economy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's one ongoing right now, actually, that we're hoping to close quite soon. And part of that transaction, so essentially we brought a PE player into this target company that's okay. in the horticulture space. And as part of that transaction, they will be doing quite an extensive expansion. So what that means is directly that's 400 people gaining employment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing something like that, yeah, it's quite it's quite satisfying. And it really does make a difference. And I think once people understand that a transaction of that le- level or scale protects jobs, grows economies, um, they understand that the work that we do is is quite important. Shanif? We do very important work. <laughs> <laughs> really, we do. I mean, I, I believe in it. I, I, I sometimes look around and in my less sober moments, I think, these guys, are they doing as serious work as I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. But, yeah. but uh, you know, the thing is that, you see, everybody has a role to play in the economy, right? The legal profession, you're deepening the legal sector, yeah. the legislative side of mm-hmm. it. We feel we are doing the same, deepening the financial sector, right? So we have a role to play. And then if we play that role, it's deepening the capital markets. It's deepening the private debt, debt market. It allows the SME guys to come up to the mid-level, the mid-level guys to go mm. to the large corporate level. And we we have a role to play here. We may not have an end-to-end role to play, but we have a specific role to play here, right? This is our contribution in terms of the deepening of the, the financial markets in any given country. And you need that for any country to move from a an emerging to a more established phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, specifically, of course, there are many, many examples. Maybe I can cite, I yeah. can cite mm-hmm. like, one of the transactions that uh, Shanif and probably I got involved was started by a relationship we had in our banking days. Yeah. But I can remember that it involved an acquisition and then expansion finance. And I can remember 13 years ago, older than uh, Horizon, yeah. going to Western Kenya and being shown the site, an empty parcel of land, Yeah. Mm. right? And then we had numbers on a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> which and we there, were, was, there was a yeah. small stream yeah. <laughs> <which, laughs> running as a back of that. It was all, it was all uh, like virgin bush, land. Yeah. Yeah. virgin land. The crocodiles. And, yeah, crocodiles. There was crocodiles Actually, there were crocodiles. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we had this plan on paper and, and this massive industry um, was put up. Yeah. And the price of land went up. Yeah. People opened up commercial properties. People started cash cropping there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, finance, small finance companies came up. So a whole economy mm-hmm. was built off of a discussion and a, a, a visit that we made with this client. Amazing. And, and it's, it's a significant business. Amazing. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Yeah. There are bars out there, <laughs> <laughs> supermarkets outside <laughs> that factory. Is that your interest? <laughs> <laughs> 
that's where your interest lies. <laughs> you know, bars is also an indication of a thriving economy. That's very true, that. actually. You know that you can't pay someone outside of a bar um, by the Employment Act simply oh, really? because people will spend their pay on on It's actually it's actually in the Employment Act. Okay. Can you can you impress someone outside? <laughs> I, I wonder. I want to also talk about corporate finance and the reason I Absolutely. want to talk about it is because when you're thinking about a transaction or when you're thinking as a business, what am I going to do uh, in order to raise capital? This is another consideration and this is something that you guys are experts at. So what is corporate finance and what is um, the considerations in a corporate finance? Is it trans- is the transaction the right word? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sonia Kapi, Charles, that. anyone? Um, Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the term corporate finance is, is really wide. And actually, depending on which advisory firm you're in or even bank, they'll define it differently because M&A can also roll, roll up under that. Yeah. Talk, talk about um, equity, capital raising. So it's essentially assisting businesses with raising capital to yeah. meet their objectives. So whether that's for finance, uh, whether whether they actually need to restructure their balance sheet because it is inefficient in some in, in some manner mm-hmm. and they need to correct the mm-hmm. ratios of debt to to equity, whether they want to bring in a partner that can assist with the growth, it's really a, a wide range of transactions that that fall under that. Yeah. So how do you decide whether it's um, financing or restructuring? A lot of people look for financing when really they're at a point where they need to be restructuring the business, thinking about how the business is going to run. How do how do you balance that? You raise a good point. And sometimes that inability to recognize that is a big problem, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things that we, we do is to holistically look at this business and understand where um, either the problem lies, and that usually requires a restructuring, or where the opportunity lies, and that's where the financing comes in. And sometimes it's a mix of both. But in most cases, the restructuring is followed by the financing. So you mm-hmm. you, you go in there and if it's a balance sheet, if it's more equity required, if it needs to, if the debt needs to be stretched, etc. Those are the things that you're you're worried about negotiating before the company can then take off. Because it will properly. look more attractive anyway Absolutely. when it's been restructured. Yeah. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. So when when we're talking about COVID and the pandemic and the effects on businesses in Kenya, even in Africa in general, what are we learning from? Are we doing more structuring? Are we doing a lot of leveraged buyouts? Are we doing a lot of borrowing? What 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 are you seeing in this market, Shanif? I mean, uh, restructuring is a is, is is a key consequence of the pandemic. COVID, uh, COVID mm-hmm. pandemic. I mean, many many businesses have um, suffered quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, whether the demand dried up, sources of uh, uh, raw material dried up, yeah. sources of business dried up. If you look at hotel industry, for example, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, during the lockdown, the restaurant industry suffered quite significantly. All the services around those uh, travel and tourism industry, may that be dry cleaning services or the provision of food products to these hotels. And, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, they've all suffered. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully there is some turnaround happening now. Similarly, of course, during the lockdown, a number of, 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 of businesses uh, saw a re- significant reduce in activity. Mm-hmm. So there was, uh, you know, laying off of people or reducing people's salaries. That impacted demand as well, broadly speaking. That's all impacted, right? And and then not to mention the impact on global logistics, importation, exports. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's taking two or three times as long. In many <laughs> cases, a number of our clients who were in the middle of significant expansions mm-hmm. have not been able to get 
or had not been able to get the equipment in yeah. Kenya on time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the region on time. Not only that, many of them were not able to get the specialist engineers to commission those pumps, yeah. to install, install and commission those. We yeah. have live cases and we have had to then go back to the banks and ask them to restructure, give more time, more moratorium. Yeah. Because the whole premise of the the, the, the business was built that, you know, if we, we can get it uh, installed in commission by this day, cash flows can start coming in from yeah. this day mm-hmm. and that can be start servicing. Now, if the whole, you know, commissioning has been delayed by a year, we have to then go back to the bank and request yeah. for restructure on moratorium terms and so forth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Banks have broadly been understanding, yeah. right? And because of, of course, regulatory pressure and mm-hmm. their own, you know, empathy, mm-hmm. they may have felt towards the clients as well. So many cases we have, um, we've been able to, to look at it. One worrying thing, of course, is that there, there are two kinds of, of restructuring or two types of clients here, right? Or, yeah. or, or borrowers, yeah. Mm-hmm. One, who, who have faced uh, uh, problems because of COVID. Others who have had structural problems mm-hmm. and either COVID has uh, exposed them or exacerbated these yeah. problems, mm-hmm. all right? Now, the two need to be handled in a different manner because those who have got structural problems, you know, uh, getting through the COVID pandemic is not going to sort those problems. So yeah. you, you need to look for a different strategy. Yeah. Uh, others who face problems because of COVID, of course, you work around, uh, you know, when do you expect the COVID pandemic to be under control and get back to some normalcy. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, key distinguishing factor as well. These are very important points. And I think businesses who are looking to restructure or looking for financing need to consider all of these and come come to you guys, really, if they're mid to high network clients in order for them to get that advice. I want to talk a bit about startup companies and PE funds because, you know, I work uh, a lot with them. They're always talking about second round funding or looking for funding and it's too expensive in this market. For a minority shareholding, financiers are asking for too much control over a company that, you know, is just at at the stage where they're just looking for financing. How can we educate and change that in this market so that we are more attractive? as borrowers, as lenders, uh, so that we can encourage startups and businesses that are growing at the moment. Charles? Difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's a role there for venture capitalists and um, to to innovate around the structures within which they invest, number one. Number two, and this is something that perhaps I tell people in a, a class I teach once every so often, is at the beginning, in the life cycle of a business, you've got no income. Right? So yeah. you're burning money. Yeah. And that burning money before you start to create revenue is probably the hardest point in a business. Yeah. But it is also the point that it is also the point at which you've got to plan meticulously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You've got to understand how much I'm going to burn, where I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to finance it, who my clients are, how often I'm gonna get paid, etc. So so literally that's the more you're able to sit in front of a financier or, or 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 an investor with a solid plan yeah. that, that they can trust, the easier it is to unlock cash. Okay, that's that's very good advice, actually. Yeah. And I, at least I think the, the the issue is people who um, want to venture and want to start up don't necessarily have the financial knowledge when they're doing it. They just have an idea, and the idea might be great. And I think that getting that financial understanding will be a key to unlocking 
in the future finances. They're also very optimistic. Yeah. So as, as much as they say, oh, Don't it's too expensive. <laughs> I'm not going to it off to you. You know, Excel, they, need to, they need a dose of reality sometimes is what, is what we find, to be very honest. Excel worksheet can allow you to be yeah. very honest. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a, anything on paper can There's allow. a reason why, you know, the investors will ask for certain rights, etc. And the the track record in in, in the region, um, if if you just look at PE returns, also informs that because there is a lot of risk in in East Africa, yeah. Africa generally. Yeah. Um. So yeah, nobody likes um, to you know dilute too much and have to answer to board directors. <laughs> But there's a reason why it's there. It's a necessity. It's it's an it's an evil of having to <laughs> borrow. Um. Correct. Mm. I think we've learned a lot in this session, so thanks a lot. Okay, so let's get personal. Um, I want to talk personally to you, Shanif. You had a difficult 2019 and 2020, going into 2020. What did it teach you about yourself? Well, I mean, look, I, I think, A, there is no substitute for hard work. Yeah. Right? I mean, we, we've all got to put in the work. B, you've got to recognize that in addition to hard work and focus, there's a luck plays a role. I mean, our, our job is, you know, to have many balls in the air and hope one catch one, yeah. catch mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. or you know throw as much as on the wall and and hope something sticks yeah right but you've got to you have to continuously day in day out you have to push you yeah. have to work hard and you have to push and it all depends on what drives you what gets you out of bed in the morning you know and and people have different motivation it could be work related it could be professional related it could be related to a hobby it can be related to an extracurricular whatever it is you know the gym for you should be right? absolutely absolutely <laughs> you got to you got to be focused you got to drive that agenda day in day out um, the other thing i'll say something is is that you have to be if you're ambitious you have to be collectively ambitious you have to be ambitious about yourself you have to be ambitious about the people around you because we drive each other yeah we, and 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 you take a longish term view of that but because you you've got to recognize especially in a partnership in a professional services yeah. business mm-hmm. is that your success helps others and others success successes help you that's a very important point right. yeah. so you keep and and that's that's partnership family may be your spouse may be your children you've got to be ambitious for all of them and then of course it depends on all individuals whether they measure up or live up to that ambition or not you know you can't force people yeah uh, you you know you 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 can take a I was I was going to use Mohammedan mountain. <laughs> there you are. Right? That there you are. So but but you've got to push and 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 stay focused and and this is not a three month six month thing this is a year in year out thing. thing I mean yeah. mm-hmm. uh, we horizon 10 11 12 years and hopefully 10 20 more years 30 more years inshallah inshallah mm-hmm. as i say and 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 um, so for for me that that is critical yeah i mean i went through a bit of a rough patch but what's taught me interestingly enough is just continue doing the things i'm doing and do it harder and faster and better yeah we're Excellent. struggling to keep to up to keep up yeah and yeah. i can see this the energy is, is there she leaves <laughs> emails are continuous continuously yeah, no, i love i love it it's it's a, it's a it's a slow burn but it, it, yeah. it i i feel it's 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 a it's a good one and how are you now shanif uh, i'm good i'm good uh, i'm more or less back and uh, yeah, yeah i'm so happy i'm so happy to see you very Thank well you. 
Um, so I always ask my guests to tell us something that no one knows about them. We've had all sorts of secret secrets that no one really knows. So let's start with you, Charles. Tell us something that no one yes, really Charles. knows about you. I don't think you know. Why are you laughing? Your husband's laughing cheekily yes, for anyone who can't see. <laughs> so I took a kickboxing. Kickboxing? Um, yeah. Okay. Quite, quite no, seriously. Got I got kicked. And then he got his wear and kicked. Okay. More because I think it's a skill you can learn so is this a recent thing or is this a it's probably last six months or so oh no wonder oh, you're so wow. in shape <laughs> I, was wondering, I was looking at Charles so I wake up very early yeah. in the morning and I have a, a, Amazing. A, a session or two for an hour and um yeah, I release the energy but, there before I come in. And I, I think <laughs> exercise is, is excellent for that kind of thing. In your cabin? <laughs> um, what can I say? I do a really good impersonation of a monkey. Which is for my niece and nephews. I know okay. I'm not going to do it. No, it, it, it involves a lot of uh, uh, we still have bodily movements. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to do it it's, for us. No, no, no. That's just for my nieces. Oh, and no. Shani? <laughs> well, there are many, I guess, many things. But uh, I have certain geeky hobbies. Like what? I'm a wine collector. Oh, but I, I, I don't collect wine because of the drinking side of it. I'm more interested in the, uh, in the academic side of wine, in terms of the grapes and the terra and... and you know the all soil, of the, all of the wine terminology. Yeah, yeah. The, mm -hmm. the soil and all of that. Yeah. So I read up a lot on that, yeah. and and uh, my other hobby is uh, horological. So I I the, uh, collection. Sure, sure, I, I collect, collect vintage, watches. Uh, vintage watches. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Can I yeah. change my answer? <laughs> 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 Put it in the picture. You are not sure. And there's a reason why I collect vintage watches. I can't afford. <laughs> Vintage watches are cheap. I can't afford the other ones. Well, you guys have been so great. Thank you so much for spending um, time with us on this uh, podcast. It has been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so um, you know openly and giving us insights into the business, Excellent. which we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, on a personal note, I just want to tell my viewers, um, I've been nominated for Lawyer of the Year by the Law Society of Kenya. I know it's because of you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, see you next month. Well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. See you next month.